0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are the one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one for me, who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kinrad shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on... according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Thank you, Natalie and Anna. This morning, on this last Sunday of Advent, I want us to stand in between two phrases that you heard in those two scripture readings. The phrases are, um, He has and he shall These two phrases are repeated one in each of those two readings which are both part of the lectionary's assigned readings for the fourth Sunday in Advent this year. The first phrase he has is from that beautiful song that Anna read just now. It starts out my soul magnifies the lord or in Latin Magnificat. Enema, mea, dominum. Which is why the song is known as the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. And why does her soul magnify the Lord? It's because of what He has done. He has. That's the first phrase. And that phrase will be repeated in this passage seven times. He has... Looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. He, the mighty one, has done great things. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. And boy, would it be fun to dig into all the subversiveness in that prayer. I mean I don't want to get political, but that is some Bernie Sanders stuff <laughs> right there. <laughs> okay, that was political. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but you can you can see, can't you, why see here I go. Why Jesus, just a few chapters later, is going to say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to whom? To the poor. And if the message is not good news to the poor, it's not Jesus' good news. It's some other good news. But He has. What I want to focus on is the idea that this phrasing tells us that this has been done. It is in the past. Now, It is quite possible that some of us, maybe many of us in the room, are finding ourselves in in a, in a place of doubt or struggle or questioning where our faith is flagging or not quite as strong as we would like it to be. And if you're a person of faith whose faith is on the wane, those words he has can be really reassuring. To remember the things that he has done, because uh, for for those of us on this side of Christmas, obviously this is what the Magnificat is pointing toward in some ways, at least in part. We have the joy of being able to think about the fact that Jesus has already come; that work has been done. To bring it back to a kind of a more personalized reflection, you might find it helpful if your faith is wavering to think of experiences with God that you have had in the past. Sometimes I do that and I I think back on my life of faith and uh, being, unfortunately, a somewhat cynical person, I tend to look at my faith experiences when I was younger and dismiss them and say, well, I was so immature and they didn't mean anything. But that's not true. They absolutely did mean something. And even if I don't experience faith or think about theology or God or doctrine in the exact same way as I did at that moment, I can still look back and see God was present with me in that moment. He has done something. Maybe you've had an experience like that in your own life of faith that you can look back to that can be reassuring to you. You could also maybe borrow some experiences from the people you love. I've told you before about the faith of my grandmother, which makes my faith look like uh, a little tiny mustard seed, (laughs) which uh, thankfully is sufficient, I'm told. Um, But her faith is uh, like a big mountain compared to mine. (laughs) And I can sort of, uh, once again, vicariously uh, remember God's work in the world, through the experiences that she's shared with me. That's why it's so important for us, and I need to do better than better at this as a father, but it's so important for us to share these faith experiences with our children and to pass them on, as uh, the Magnificat prayer says, from generation to generation. You might remember the, the way that God has worked in and among us, artists in church, over the last decade. We've spent a lot of time thinking about our next decade and reflecting on the previous one, the first one, and um, thinking about how God has done work in and among us and through us. And that can be helpful in those moments when your faith is uh, feeling weak too. But sometimes that may not be enough. It, 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 may be, it may be one of those days where you just think, okay, that stuff's in the past. What about now? What about tomorrow? What about next week? How am I going to get through this month, this year? I don't see any end in sight. That's where the other phrase can be helpful. He shall. I like the word shall. We don't use shall very often. Um, But shall and its cousin will um, uh, have this kind of dual meaning of future and certainty. Right? It's a helping verb, grammatically. <laughs> Something shall happen. But it's also, especially the shall, it's got this certainty, this weight to it, doesn't it? And the passage that Natalie read had the word shall in it, I think, seven or eight times. Sometimes of what he shall do and sometimes what his people shall do or experience because of his work. The he being the coming Messiah. We know as Jesus. He shall come forth. His kindred shall return from exile into their homeland. He shall stand and feed his flock, and they shall stand secure. He shall be great. He shall be the one of peace. So, if for you, standing in this tension here, there's not enough solace. Or maybe you don't have enough data or experience to rely on the he has experiences. The he shall might become your prayer, your hope. Because leaving aside even just the question of people who who don't really have much faith experience, for some of us the past is not a positive thing at all. And focusing on what has been done in our lives around us, to us, is much more painful than looking ahead. And if your experience with life or faith has been one of pain and sorrow more than you would like, it can be helpful at Advent (laughs) to think of what shall be, to remember the promises of a better future, of a renewed creation. And so often these promises of what God's work will be through Jesus, through the Messiah, they, they start before we got on the scene and they continue after we're gone. And we stand in these, this weird place. But whatever pain you are experiencing, whatever exile you might be in personally, to think with hope that you shall... Return to your homeland, whatever that symbolizes for you. To know that you shall be safe and secure, that you shall be guarded by the good shepherd. And most powerfully to me lately is to know that he shall be the one of peace. Because looking around the world as I see it and as it is right now, I don't see as much peace as I wish was there. I may have peace in my own home. I actually do have quite a lot of peace in my own home. It's a great blessing to me. But I can't permit myself not to look beyond my own doors. I can't permit myself not to look at the other streets in the city that maybe don't have as much peace and harmony as mine does. To the other parts of the country where my kids might not have the opportunities that they have here to lands beyond our own shores where people go to sleep at night or don't go to sleep at night because they're in constant terror. And when I start to think about those things, I can very quickly slip into despair. So it's very reassuring to me to think and hope for a future where he shall be the one of peace. But it may be that for some of us in the room, both both proclamations, both phrases ring a little bit hollow. The he has isn't working for you on some level, and the he shall is just too hard and abstract, and you can't find peace there. For those of you in the room who are in that place, I hope you will find it reassuring to know that the psalm reading for today lives in that same kind of place. Did you notice this when we prayed it as a confession earlier? How many of you felt when we were reading that prayer, this is not very encouraging, this doesn't feel good to say these words? Well, it's not supposed to feel good to say those words. The person who wrote the words did not feel good when he wrote them. There's no, he has done great things. There's no, he shall bring this great world. All there is, is God, do something now. Save us, Lord. How long? How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? How long will you feed us tears? Restore us that we may be saved. Now that's a song that lives in tension. Begging God to show himself, to let his face shine in the darkness, to save us. You may be in that place too because sometimes, for each one of us, there will always be times When we're stuck in between, He has and He shall. Even for people of great faith, this is the truth. And if you have ever felt like saying some of the words in that psalm, and you immediately had this experience where you were awash with shame because you think, God doesn't want me to question Him. God wants me to accept whatever His will is. This is, a, this is a lack of faith. And since we're saved by faith, if I don't have enough to pray something more faithful than, than words like that, I had better pack my bags for hell. I know that you have had that thought, that train of thought running through your head. And I want you to tell it to stop remember that the psalmist prayed this prayer already. Remember that somehow it made the cut, and it's in the Bible. Sometimes I think that if the spiritual advisors of our day were the ones who were selecting which books to put in the Bible and which ones to leave out, they would leave that one out, and a lot of other ones like it. Thank goodness that the managers and retail buyers of our Christian retail industry don't get to choose what's in the Psalms because that makes a really bad poster. You cannot print that on the outside of a Bible in pastel colors and have people buy it. They will not. Nobody wants that. But we get it anyway. Wouldn't it be better if we would just pray the prayer as it, is, as it exists in Scripture rather than lying? So, if you are in a place where you can't do He has, you can't do He shall, maybe you can do how long? That's why I love Advent because <laughs> there is so much tension. It's supposed to be there, We're not supposed to skip from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Much as we might want to open those presents and sing the pretty songs, thats that, that does a disservice to the liturgical flow of the Christian year, which most of us ignore anyway. But <laughs> Advent gives us a chance to mourn, to question, to lament, to wonder, to ask, to wait. Remember in the first week of Advent, I said that waiting, just waiting, just the fact that you're here enough to wait, that demonstrates a little bit of faith, which once again is all you actually need. <laughs> so we talk about that tension. We'll talk about the tension next year at Advent. We'll probably talk about it before we get to Advent because that's the way we roll, but advent is the time when everybody's supposed to be talking about it. Today something about those two phrases, he has and he shall, do offer me a little bit of reassurance and perhaps you as well. But one more observation here because if you stop and think about who was saying the words he has, all the stuff that's from the past, all the reassurance that we're supposed to to glean from what has already happened, who's saying those words? I didn't say her name yet. Who sings the Magnificat? Mary. In what state is Mary when she sings the Magnificat? She's pregnant, right? This is why we should always have a pregnant woman read the Magnificat. (laughs) Right? That'll be a new artisan tradition. Whoever is the most pregnant person at artisan gets to read the Magnificat. (laughs) yet she's saying this stuff he has he has he has it's already been done it's in the past she's pregnant with jesus and she has so much faith she says it's done he's already done this it's amazing he has looked with favor he has done great things he has shown strength he has lifted up the lowly he has filled the hungry with good things not with tears with good things He has helped His servant Israel. She is literally pregnant with God's work. She's carrying it with her. He has yet to be born, and yet He's already done the work. God has already done the work. What an amazing, amazing example of faith. And if you're standing in between that tension, between He has and He shall, if you're more in the place of crying out how long... Perhaps it will help you to think of the faith of Mary. Because real talk, anybody who's ever been pregnant or loved someone who was knows that pregnancy is a wonderful thing but it is not the most reassuring time of your life, is it? What it does is it makes you and those who love you and love that child, it makes you worry. <laughs> There are so many fears that come up, so many, so many, um, well, your mind just goes crazy sometimes thinking about what could happen. And yet there she is carrying Jesus, nurturing him, growing him in her womb, and she knows the work is done. And I like to think about the fact that every time she felt that baby kick, and maybe Joseph He's doing that dad thing, putting his hand on the womb, feeling the baby kick. She could be reminded of God's great work in her life, in the life of her people, and in the life of the world. And here's the beauty of the incarnation. Every time that little boy skinned his knee and came running and crying to her, because that song is baloney, Jesus cried, I am here to tell you. (laughs) If Jesus was a human baby, he cried. (laughs) Every time he skinned his knee and came crying, she could be reminded of what God was doing, what God had done. Every time he cried or laughed or jumped or ran or played or shouted, he could, she could be reminded of, of what God had done. Every time he came to her in that adolescent angst, which I promise you he had, she had a living, breathing reminder of God's work, what God had done. And we have it too. That's what makes the incarnation so beautiful because it is so human, even as it is so divine. And every time we see some little glimpse of humanity, some little innocence, some little honesty, some little pain or hurt or amusement, we can see in that humanity God made flesh she sings his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation isn't that kind of cool that she's got two generations like right there in her body but for us from generation to generation draws a thread from he has to he shall and what you find in the middle is He is. He is working now. He is saving now. He is lifting up the lowly now. So every time you see the smile on a baby's face or the tears on a toddler's face or an adolescent feeling angst, perhaps even in your own heartbreak and suffering, You can see the humanity of Jesus, the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation. And perhaps for you, that will be enough to help you wait just one more day, to show just the faith that's required to wait one more day. What is your deepest hope? for your life for the world that we live in what is the greatest promise of God that you long to see fulfilled can you say with Mary he has done it even just for today because even though you might not trust that he has and you might not be able to see that he shall in the humanity of Jesus, in the coming of the Messiah, you can somehow sense that He is. Let's pray. God with us, Emmanuel. Thank you for this beautiful song, for these three songs of Scripture that show for us the whole range of human emotion, expectation, frustration, pain, suffering, joy, and hope. May we see ourselves in your story too. And may we trust in Jesus, God with us, to lead us from He has to He shall. To draw us out of those times when our prayer is just how long. May we see the hope at the end of Advent. Show us a glimmer of the miracle of Christmas, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, in just a minute we'll take communion, so if parents want to uh, have kids participate with them at that you can go and get them in the classrooms. Uh, And if you want to take communion first, maybe come up first and then go get them uh, so they uh, can make their way back to the sanctuary. We'll sing a couple more songs together. But our communion table is open to all who are seeking to follow Jesus in this place. And you can tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, remembering his body, which was broken, his blood, which was shed, receiving the sacrament of grace as food for your souls, and doing so in an act of solidarity and community, communion with uh, those who are standing next to you and those who are celebrating communion all around the city and all around the world. If you'd like to receive prayer, there'll be a member of the prayer team here who will pray with you as well. Come and respond as the Spirit leads. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.